Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast, coming to you still from Melbourne. It's myself and Tyrone Marshall. Uh, how are you feeling, Ty? Are you, are you still a bit pretty weary? Pretty weary and pretty yes. jet-lagged. It's been a strange few days, isn't it, since that overnight flight from Bangkok that I think no one slept on. And um, yeah, and the time difference plays sort of havoc with deadlines and newspaper deadlines and things like that. And I don't, I don't think anyone really knows what time of day is. Not that United have been giving us many deadlines, well, I must say at the no, moment. No. There, um, there's, there's a lot of work to be done on that front that we might touch upon here and there. Uh, but it is amazing how the extra three hours, we were, we were six hours ahead of, of everyone in the UK in Bangkok, and that seemed quite manageable. We're now nine hours ahead. And those nine hours, those extra three hours do seem to make it a lot a lot worse in terms of adjusting and of course the time difference uh, back home but enough of that anyway thus uh, jabbering on about how how tired we are it's it's a privilege to be out here it's a, it's a great city as well we're just outside um a hotel room window which obviously you can't see uh if you just crane your neck to the right you'd be able to see uh the mcg or certainly the floodlights from the mcg the rod laver arena and there are a couple of other um stadiums around there as well which play host to rugby and aussie rules i believe it's a unique sport-centric city so it's uh it's a city i've never been to before but it's certainly one that i'd uh i'd love to come to again we've not even left it yet but as far as the football is concerned united have played their first game in melbourne they played melbourne victory on friday night i believe it is we're speaking on the sunday um, we discussed in the last podcast about whether Ten Hag would prioritise continuity and whether he'd think that would be beneficial as far as his selection was uh, concerned. And he did do that. There were two enforced changes because they didn't want to take risks with De Gea and Varane. Uh, Rashford was the only one you could say was was dropped, a soft dropping, if you like, and Alanga came in. Uh the, the, the first half, I mean, in fairness to Melbourne victory, they, they gave a good account of themselves at 4-1, probably flattered United a bit. But going off that first half, which was obviously the, the main half because it was the regular players, what, what were your, your takeaways from it? Um, I, I mean, to, it, obviously the start was concerning. The way they conceded that first goal was a concern. Ten Hag was very open when we had a, snatched a couple of minutes with him in the mix zone after the game about the, the defending for that goal. There's always a risk with that. And it, it, you kind of saw the same thing happen in the Liverpool game, that they're, they're trying to do this press. They clearly want to press aggressively, but it's still very much a work in progress. And Liverpool played through it two or three times in Bangkok and had three on three, three on two counter-attacks that they wasted, basically. Um, Melbourne victory didn't waste it. There's an issue there that when you play such a high line and aggressive press, you're going to need, you need excellent one-on-one defenders and you need pace at the back. You think of you know Liverpool do it well, and risk one-on-one defending, but Van Dijk is phenomenal at it, and Van Dijk is rapid. Canate is rapid. United don't really have that. I mean, it's Lindelof and Maguire on Friday night, and you would say neither of those are particularly quick defenders, and Lindelof was outpaced down the right, and Maguire was outpaced down the middle, and it was simple to score. Um, after that, it, it took a while for United to grow into it. I didn't think it was as fluent a performance as we saw in Bangkok. I think part of that was because this was obviously a huge night for Melbourne victory. Liverpool played a weakened team. It was a very casual first half from them. For Melbourne victory, you could see the first 20, 25 minutes, how up for it they were. They were flying into every tackle. It was really congested. After that, they tired pretty quickly. I think they're still early in pre-season. United got a grip of things. Um, There were still things you could see that they were working on. Um, The the second goal in particular, you you saw the the triangle moved on the right-hand side. I think Sancho Fernandes and Fred 
kind of that rotating triangle to create space and then Sancho playing the ball through to Dallow. Yeah. Um, so there were still tactical elements you could see. Martial, it, there was some fortune the way the ball came to him. Um, but it, it struck me as the type of goal that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer used to be on at him all the time to score. When he had that, when he had his good yeah. season under Solskjaer, he would constantly say what he needs to do is score goals. Scruffy Reminis- goals, scruffy goals yeah. he used to call them. Yeah. yeah, reminiscence of a number nine. And that's exactly what it was. The, the cross wasn't intended for him, but he was in the six-yard box and it fell to his feet and he scored. And that's kind of almost what I've been missing from, from Martial's game. So I thought that was a positive too. Going off that that first goal um, in the game that obviously United conceded, I mean, w- when it was scored, I, my my initial instinct was just to pre, you know marvel at the goal because it was a brilliant move. Um, it, it started from the goalkeeper. It was a short goal kick that Melbourne took and they just played through United very effortlessly, easily. Uh, the two forwards, the, the, the chap who obviously provided the assist was very prompt and it was a first time, very good first time finish. Tom Heaton didn't have a chance. And as I said, I think the prop that maybe it's one of those goals where you think, oh, you know, you should give the credit to the goal scorers and the forwards a lot more. But from United's perspective, it was a dismal, dreadful goal to concede. Uh, I think Luke Shaw was probably halfway inside uh, the Melbourne half when the ball passed him. Uh, Lindelof was obviously covering at left back, but as you say, he's not quick. He was bypassed very easily. And then, of course, we come to uh, every online online United fans favourite Harry Maguire who was not for the first time in his United career off the pace and we we were all discussing it in the uh, press conference and in the mix zone afterwards that okay Maguire hasn't played however long it was and he he was carrying an injury in Bangkok and it was his first appearance on tour but he has made that kind of error when he's been fully fit at his optimum not in terms of form but certainly fitness um Lissandra Martinez is is in Manchester at the moment. He's going to become United's third signing. I suppose at the, in dan- we might be in danger of reading too much into it, but Maguire was repositioned to the right um, of the centre-backs last season. Now, if, if Martinez is coming in, the money that they're paying for him, I think it's probably still a stretch to say that he's going to be an automatic starter. But if he's going to be the left-footed centre-back, Rafael Varane, again, you know, with with his injury record, it's not great, but he's possibly the right-sided centre-back. It, it does feel like, although Maguire has got the captaincy still, there is still quite a lot of pressure being applied on him. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's interesting. I mean, this tour started for us um, in terms of media with that, that first press conference. And I think we were all a little surprised at how equivocal that... Um, Ten Hag's backing for Maguire as, as captain was and, and that he was going to stay there. And yet here we are a week later and I think we're all thinking there's a chance he's he's not going to keep his place in the team because it, it does feel like it's two out of three from Martinez, Varane and Maguire. Martinez is the left-footed option. He's clearly very popular with the manager. He wanted to play under Ten Hag again. Ten Hag wanted him again. I think if you're Maguire, you're probably looking at that relationship and thinking this might not be good news mm. for me. And the worst possible thing to do is to start pre-season with an error. And, he, you know, he wasn't, it, it wasn't solely down to him, that goal. But the reality is that's going to happen to United this season. They either want to play like it happens to City, like yeah. it happens to Liverpool. So they need defenders who can deal with it. And it's not a great look that you can't deal with it, especially when you're playing against Melbourne victory, with all due respect to them. Um, where he plays will be interesting. You mentioned him on the right there. He, he played on the right in that game against Leicester towards the end of last season. I think it might have been the only time 
actually played quite well. Did it? He played game. well, yeah. It was the game after he'd after been he'd booed. Bangham fans, yeah. yeah. And then, obviously, he was playing Leicester fans who dislike him a lot anyway. But he was moved to the right and he actually did really well. And he looked a lot better in possession and looked a lot better carrying the ball out. And I think Ranić said after the game about how he felt it would help his sort of body position in playing passes as a right footer. And he did look a lot better. But then, like I said, I think Varane got injured and Lindelof came into the team and Maguire moved back to the left. So it was kind of something we didn't get to see very often. But the reality is, if, that's, if, if Ten Hag thinks he wants a left footer on the left and a right footer on the right, you've got Varane and Maguire competing for the same place. And I don't think there's many people who think Maguire is going to win that particular battle. So it does feel like that. I think that centre-half, that, that two into three equation at, at centre-half is going to be one of the real sort of fascinating um, developments over the next the next few games and, and the build-up to the start of the season and, and who gets the knob there. Indeed. Uh, Martinez, is, as we said, he's in Manchester, uh, but it might be, I mean, we're talking on the Sunday, as I said, it might be another day or two until it's announced. I mean, United haven't even put an interview out with Christian Eriksen. Uh, it's, it's unclear whether he even was at Carrington um, for, to, to conduct his medical or whether that was done somewhere else, but he, he's not going to be coming on the tour. They would have liked to have Martinez on the tour as well, but it's got to that point now where, because as, as often is the case with United, things are becoming protracted or it's even an inordinate wait for a medical or for contracts to be signed. That means that they're not going to be uh, coming out to Australia. So Tyrone Molassia will be the only new signing who's who's present on tour. Uh, at the other end uh, from the defence, Marshall did, as you say, he scored again. It was a very... Um, you know, it was it was a bit of a scruffy goal. There's an element of fortune about it. I think I think Alanga's assist might have been um, unwitting because you know I think he might have been attempted to go for goal and then it just fell into Marshall's path. But Marshall was there to take uh, to take his opportunity. That's two goals in two games for him. I I, I said that I, I'm not particularly surprised that Marshall is 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 having quite a propitious start in that there's no competition at the moment. Uh, Elanga did. I mean, I think apart from one one in swinging cross, he was very much on the periphery. It was a bit of a surprise that he was bumped up to the first team, uh, to the starting side, given that he didn't do much in Bangkok either. But with Marshall, obviously, he's he's starting games at the moment, and again, I think most people would agree he is one of the best forwards available for the front three. But there's no Ronaldo at the moment. When Ronaldo, if Ronaldo does come back, and again, Chelsea aren't going to sign him. Uh, Bayern Munich have knocked down that possibility again. Ronaldo doesn't want to move to the, to Saudi Arabia either, despite um, receiving you know, more money than God to go out there. But Marshall, there's a trend that when competition presents itself, that's when he crumbles. It happened with Ibrahimovic, with Sanchez. Uh, with Cavani, even though Cavani, when he was he came in, you looked at him and thought, okay, he's going to keep Marshall on his toes, he's going to be the backup. Uh, but then he ended up just trampling all over his toes and taking his place. And of course, Ronaldo as well. Uh, United do want a forward; they absolutely need a forward. Is there a danger? Do you think not necessarily on United's behalf, but maybe some fans because Marshall's got such a fervent following that? You know, because Marshall scored a couple of goals, United don't necessarily need um, a forward to to apply pressure on him. Or, or do, is it a case of that this is just fans getting carried away with him scoring a couple of goals? Yeah, I, I think there's always a risk of that. I mean, he's been he's been poor for a long time now, and his his loan at, at Sevilla was disappointing. I think it's an argument if his loan at Sevilla had gone better, he might not even be at the club now. 
Mm. Um, you know, he might well have been sold, but the reality is there was no market for him because yeah. it, it was disappointing. He has looked good in, in 90 minutes so far. And like I mentioned before, the, the goal he scored was almost an unmartial goal, but what you want from a number nine. Yeah. Um, in a way, the goal he scored against Liverpool was an unmartial goal as well because it involved him pressing and winning the ball back. And I think there's always this, this, there's this idea that he's a bit of a, a laissez-faire forward, isn't he? He's, you know, he's not always seemingly committed to the mm. cause or an intense presser, but he did win the ball back. He finished it really well there. And Ten has got a pretty good reputation, I would say, at getting goals from, from centre-forwards. I think we've spoken on the podcast before that tactically he's never stuck to one centre-forward. He had Tadic as a false nine in his first Ajax team and then he's had six, Sebastian, Haller. Sebastian Haller who's like six foot four this season. So he's clearly versatile with it. I think if Ronaldo stays, and I think you have to think he will stay at the moment, then Martial is, is probably a good enough backup. And you know Martial is going to play basically every Europa League game, isn't he? I think it's, you know, we've been talking about it the last few days as well. There's also an argument that What's happened with Ronaldo gives Ten Hag a bit more power to leave him out for some some Premier League games and even drop him if he if he feels it's it's beneficial to the team. It's it's always given him a bit more power in that battle in a way with with Ronaldo in in terms of what he can do. And it it's it's the one interesting transfer left for United really. I think De Jong obviously De Jong's gone to America with Barcelona now. I think we're still probably all expecting that to get done at some point. Um, it's just incredible. He's going to arrive in, in chains and in a crate. At yeah. this rate. That, that's <laughs> yeah. the only way that he's yeah. going to be transported. To yeah, yeah. It's going to be like, um, was it Aaron Lennon when he signed for Everton and just um, looked absolutely but, yeah, mortified at what happened to his career. Player, yes. Does feel the way De Jong is going about it that it might be the same. But there were, clearly Ten Hag wants a forward. They've been saying all along the club and the manager, midfield and forward priorities. The interesting thing is going to be what sort of forward they sign because we know they wanted Anthony. That looks unlikely now. He was a left-footed right winger. Sancho's done really well as a right winger now. With Ronaldo, with what's going on there, do you move to a centre forward? So I think it's it's the one sort of source of intrigue left in the transfer window as well to to what kind of forward they they go for. And and it does. It, I think it's going to be quite interesting to see what Ten Hag wants, whether he continues with this idea of wanting a, a right winger and maybe a left footer to bring balance because obviously they haven't got a left-footed forward available at the moment. Um, so I think that that's going to be the, one of the most interesting things between now and the end of the window. In I can't believe you've forgotten Tahith Chong there or, or Ahmed. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. But, well, but it's easy. I think it's, it's easy to forget to, to, to uh, leave leave those two yeah. out, given that they are reserves at the moment. It leads me on to the the next um, not issue. It's it's a very much positive for United at the moment. That right hand side, Sancho is playing there. He played there again. Mm against Melbourne he played he was probably United's not probably he was United's best most creative player he had a hand in the, the the second goal he played Fernandez through for a good chance where the keeper made a pretty good save in a one-on-one Ten Hag said afterwards that uh, last week um, he was talking about all the options he had from from the left and how he kind of hinted that the attack was a bit a bit lopsided a bit imbalanced which is what we've been saying for probably years and then all of a sudden, the right-hand side um, in these two games on tour has has looked a lot stronger with not just Sancho, but him being backed up by uh, Diogo Dallo. Of course, with as, as far as the right-back is concerned, it was no, Dallo knew a number of months ago that whenever there were interested clubs coming in for him, United said they didn't want to negotiate for him, but they would negotiate for Anwan Bissaka. So immediately, a player is bound to feel 
emboldened knowing that for the time being at least he is the first choice right back uh, secondly there's a new manager coming in and i think automatically players are always going to be a bit more intense and a bit more focused because they want to impress the new manager especially at the start of it and we've seen that from Dallow as well in that he again had a hand in the goal it was his cross that eventually was turned in by Marshall um ironically if you were to look at the back line you'd have possibly said at the start of the summer that right back was the area where United needed um needed a, a reinforcement or an upgrade more than at left back or centre back perhaps um but the way it's going for now, anyway, Dallo is is the first choice right back. They might still get a right back. They're, they're, they're certainly in the market for one. But of, of course, things do need to change there. They've they've got a hell of a lot of fullbacks as it is already. But that combination play between Sancho and Dallo, very old fashioned. Just a you know this era of underlaps, which yeah. is is obviously not not a phrase everybody uh, appreciates. But that that does exist in mm. football. But they've gone with the overlap. Um, it would take something would have to go wrong for those two not to be starting against Brighton, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. They look they look nailed on, don't they, to start yeah. on the right hand side? And it kind of makes the point that do you, especially with the money Ajax are asking for Anthony, you almost think it's, there's no point signing him when he's. It's hard to see how he gets in the team ahead of Sancho at the moment. Yeah, and they have looked really good. It was interesting on um, Friday night that Ethan Laird came on at, at right back in the second half ahead of Wamba Saka. Um, I know there's. I you want to give everyone a game on tour, but there's some players, I mean, we've not seen any of Garnacho yet. Or um, Meshbury. Or yeah. Meshbury. Um, so that felt pretty, pretty dummy. And this idea of signing a right back, I think you, you probably want another one, but you need to, you probably need to get rid of one Bissaka there. And the problem is you can almost, you can almost afford to have too many left backs because Tellez was, what, £14 million, around £14 million a couple of years ago. I think so, yeah. Um, if United sold him, He's still a Brazilian international. They'll probably get not far off ten for him. So you're not, you know, you're not going to be in a terrible position there. Somehow they paid forty-five million pound for Aaron Wambasaka, and it's hard to see how they recoup half. I don't think those add-ons will ever be. Uh, I don't think they will. This. No. Well, we, I think can't remember having a conversation with, but um, we won't even turn on this podcast. I think there's, his record is probably the most expensive England player never to be capped by England. Is is going to stand for a long, long time, yes. and it's hard to see how he ever does get a cap at the moment. And you what you know you watch him play last season. It, he just does not fit into what Ten Hag is trying to do here, and you wonder whether there's even any point bringing him on in the next two games and playing in the next two games because it, it, his game just doesn't suit Man United. And I think there's an argument to be made, as harsh as it sounds, his his game as a fullback probably doesn't suit any elite club. He's very good for Palace, where he had to defend one on one, and there wasn't a focus going forward. But that's not what United need. So. I don't, you know, there's not a role for him in that squad, but it was such an expensive signing that he is, he is going to become a problem, I think, for United. And, and that's maybe the issue with, with signing another right back. But you're talking, I think we all thought they'd maybe sign a right back to play ahead of Dallow, but he has done very well. He's combined with Sancho very well. He's combined with the midfielders very well in field. Um, and I think he has, he's probably done enough to, to make that place his own, at least at the start of the season there. Yeah. The most popular player during this tour so far, I think it's like saying one of the most popular players at United full stop with, with the fan base is Bai, who has, has had two very good halves, particularly against Liverpool. I thought he was exceptional. And then the other night, he claims an assist for, for Marcus Rashford's goal in the second half. Unfortunately for him, it looks like he's about to become a fifth-choice centre-back yeah. at best. That, that situation is... I mean, it's quite complex because of the issues in the dressing room last season uh, by, you know, 
taking um, umbrage with the privileges that Harry Maguire has had and resents them. And of course, that was, you know, he pretty much publicized that with that Instagram comment in April or May when he was you know, endorsing Maguire being dropped for him to start against Varane. I think it was against, for the game against Arsenal. But when you weigh up the issues with Bayern, there are many. I mean, he's he's not averaged even 20 appearances um, per season during his six seasons with United, which is a, a dreadful, dreadful record, whatever the, the context. He has been extremely injury-prone. He's very brittle. The last time there was a pre-season tour, um, there was there was an offside and he, he played on and did his cruciate ligament, uh, anterior cruciate ligament, I think it was, and ends up in hospital. And that's from an offside situation and that pretty much typifies by... But ob- objectively, I suppose, when you consider his assets and when he's at his optimum, he's possibly a better centre-back than Maguire when mm. he's at the very top level of his game, which is just not often enough, uh, I think it's safe to say. And... I think it's safe to say that when he is playing well, he's a far better centre-back, a more suitable centre-back than Lindelof. Mm. But you can't, I mean, you can't see United having a rethink there and saying, actually, you know, we might bump him up a couple of places here and keep him. And Lindelof can be the one who's deemed surplus requirements. You'd think it's unlikely. um, But what we were talking about the centre-backs at the start of this podcast, and you'd probably say, by his game, fits that better than Lindelof and maybe Maguire and yeah. he has got good recovery pace and um, Ten Hag clearly wants defenders who can be good on the ball and bring the ball out from the back and he's done that twice and created two goals yeah. he essentially created the goal against Liverpool he wouldn't have got the assist but it was his his play that started it and um, same again on, on Friday night we did kind of see both sides of on Friday night and then he also switched off and gave the ball away and nearly created a goal for Melbourne victory on, on one occasion um, but his assets are, are probably better suited to how Ten Hag wants to play than someone like Lindelof in terms of that pace and that recovery pace. The problem is that he, he clearly, even if he became fourth choice, I, I don't get the impression that that's enough for Eric Bailly. You know, we said it the other night, he gave, he gave the interview within a month of signing a new contract saying that he'd go if he didn't get regular games. Yeah. And he's not had regular games. It's still hard to see how he becomes a regular starter. Um, so as much as his game... I think I think there's a strong argument to say his game is better than Lindelof's for how United want to play, but I think Lindelof's a less um he's a much more low maintenance player, isn't he, than than Eric Bailly. Yeah, I think if you keep Bailly as fourth choice, you're you're risking more problems down the line in, in yeah. terms of how he's how he sort of conducted himself and obviously he wants to play regularly. So I think that's that's probably the end of that. But he has, let's say he has done very well in, in both of these games. We did kind of see both sides of it on on Friday, but certainly on the ball, he's he's looked He's looked surprisingly good so far in pre-season. It might suit United as well, but if he is performing in pre-season, that creates a market for him because mm. so far there there hasn't been there hasn't been much of a market for most of the players that United are, are prepared to to let go. Um, the, the second half was a bit of a non-event. Uh, very very few players stood out at all. The, the the tempo of the game dropped significantly, as you always expect when there are ten changes, ten outfield changes, which was. The case in Bangkok as well. Um, United had, you know, very very proactive in that first half and the second half, and also with Liverpool getting stronger, United had to pretty much just, um, you know, it was, it was a different approach, and that Liverpool had most of the ball, and United's goal came via the counter attack um, against Melbourne. United did score a couple of more goals. Uh, as I said, Rashford got his first goal for the club, I think, since January. And then Tahith Chong forced an own goal. It was 
probably the only you know, thing of note that Chong did. It was some of us were, well, I think all of us were pretty baffled that he came on ahead of Alejandro Garnacho or, or Hannibal Mejbri. And I suppose that leads me on to the, this other uh, topic, which is that Zidane Iqbal all of a sudden could become the, the breakout youngster of this tour, where I think most of us were expecting James Garner or, or Mejbri or, or Garnacho to be getting the opportunities. It's been Zidane Iqbal. Um, obviously, with, with James Garner, he's he's been injured and missed the first couple of games, which is rotten timing given uh, his, his trajectory in recent years. But Iqbal, I think, has acquitted himself very, very well um, in, in the two games. And so has Charlie Savage as well. Mm. Um, next to him in midfield, both have been very, um, shown immense equanimity on the ball and in different circumstances as well, you, having a lot of the ball against Melbourne, having to be a bit more disciplined against Liverpool. Do you see Iqbal, I mean, it was it was Anthony Langer last year who during pre-season was making a name for himself and looking to get into the first team squad. I suppose it's a bit too premature um, and fanciful to think that Iqbal is all of a sudden going to be in Ten Hag's core first team squad at the start of the season, isn't it? I think so, yeah. But I think there's merit to to keeping him maybe around the place and playing in Europa League games and being on the bench. And we've got enlarged substitute benches and five subs next season. So I think there's probably merit in keeping it's a few true. youngsters around and, and keeping them involved. I've been really impressed with him in both games so far. He looks... His game just looks really neat and tidy and, and composed. He's, I think he's 19, isn't he? And he, yes. you can tell already he knows his strengths. He knows his own game and what he's good at. Um, he's looked good. That partnership with Savage has looked good. Um, we were both at the kit launch event here in Melbourne yesterday and, and Brian Robson was on stage and started talking about the youngster he's been so impressed with. And I think we all thought he was going to say to Dan Iqbal and he said Charlie Savage. And I think Iqbal has... has Did been... he ever buy Robbie Savage at one point? No, he didn't. Oh, no, no, I don't no. think so. No, no. No favours no there. No. Um, but I think, you know, Savage has been good. I think he's been outshone by Iqbal. But they both, they played the second halves together and they have both looked neat and tidy. And it, it's interesting that Iqbal is, is, is doing this on tour in what is essentially we thought the position that James Garner would do it. Um, and maybe there's there's merit now. I mean, time is obviously running out in pre-season for Garner to, to impress with De Jong coming in. At best, he's probably going to be fourth choice for one of those deeper roles with McTominay, Fred, De Jong. Um, at best, you would say. De Jong brackets, question mark. De Jong, yeah, yeah, true, true. <laughs> um, and, you know, maybe he'd even consider playing Van der Beek or, or Ericsson there. Um, so you, you maybe look at it now and think what Iqbal has done is, is put himself high enough off the pecking order to allow United to let Garner go out on loan and, yeah. and play somewhere in the Premier League. I think it needs to be a Premier League loan. Yeah. Where he's playing 25, 30 games um, rather than seven or eight at United. And instead, United use Iqbal as that maybe fifth choice deep line midfielder and, and give him some Europa League games. Indeed. Uh, shortly after the game finished, it was uh, we, we were informed that Christian Eriksen was going to be announced as United's second signing of the summer, which everyone, us dedicated correspondents out here, not, not just at the MEM, but the other um, press outlets from, from the UK here, uh, reported at the start of the week. We've we've touched, you know, spoken a lot about Ericsson already. Um, I think certainly when I when I first heard that United were interested in him, I was I suppose the, the initial instinct is you know, scepticism because he, he played well for Brentford, okay, but Brentford had just got promoted to the Premier League and 
cutting it at that level compared to the level where United want to be at is, is completely different. That said, Ericsson was was excellent in that Tottenham team. Okay, you could say he left Tottenham nearly um, nearly three years ago. But I suppose the thing that uh, gives me faith, I suppose, or, or, or not gives me faith, but looking at it objectively, one of the main um, positives about signing a very good player is that also he's a very good professional. Yeah. And you don't have any commotion with him. I think the way his Tottenham departure was handled... That, that could easily have got out of hand because Tottenham were trying to sell him and obviously he wasn't going to sign a new contract, but they parted on pretty good terms and there was a lot of gratitude on both sides. But the um, I think he was there for six and a half years, but he's just a very good professional. Obviously, there's a lot of warmth towards him because of uh, the, the awful the awful scenes in, in Copenhagen last year where he suffered the cardiac arrest. It's remarkable that he has been able to restart his career. He got a great ovation from United fans when he uh, took a corner as well at Old Trafford in May. He is is obviously going to be a very popular player. United have got a long history of of Danish players um, and and popular Danish players and of course a lot of Danish United supporters out there. So whether whether it's a football instinct or a commercial instinct, it does tick every box. Do you see him playing in a variety of roles? Because I think this is the other... um, this is where it also makes sense of signing him. You can see him starting games. You can see him coming on in games and yeah. having an impact. And you can also see him performing in up to three or four positions. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think I've always been a bit more um, positive on the signing from the start than maybe you have. And I do... I have warmed to him. You, well, you've warmed yeah. to him. I was quite taken at the start. Yeah. The point that I even wrote a piece after that Brantford game saying United should look at him. And I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's merits in it, especially when you look at. You mentioned there what a good professional he is. He's also a very experienced player. And you look at the players that are left on free transfers this summer: Pogba, Matic, Mata, Lingard, Cavani, all 29 or older Lee with Grant. with a lot of experience. Lee Grant, <laughs> of course. How could I forget? Um, so I think they probably needed to add a bit more experience. He, he almost replaces Lingard and Mata in the squad as, yeah. as one player, really. And obviously, yeah. you didn't need to replace both because they barely played. Um, and you're right, I think he's, he's an obvious backup for Fernandez. I think he could play in, I, I think it's an argument that at some point he might look to play a 4-3-3 um, and almost have two number eights, like maybe Ericsson and Fernandez. Look at the question then, I guess, is who is your, your deeper midfielder? I think a midfield of De Jong, Ericsson and Fernandez just sounds implausible yeah, yeah. in the Premier League. It does. Um, so I, I'm not sure we're going to see it too often. But I think Ericsson can play as an eight in a 4-3-3. He can replace Fernandez. He could even play off the left. Um, not the United are short of options there. But so like I say, he has merit in in several positions. I just think he's a really, a really classy, clever footballer. I think he's great, great footballer to watch. He's another who's clearly low maintenance. And on a free transfer on a year in a summer when the budget is obviously constricted to a to a certain degree, I think it's a signing that probably makes a lot of sense. I think I probably should have touched on it earlier, but it was also striking, I thought, during the Melbourne victory game where they were coming up quite against quite a well-structured, obdurate defence, that United are being a lot more patient with their play, yeah. which obviously tallies with what Ten Hag wants from them. And particularly Fernandez seems to have adapted yeah, very does. well. To there was one minute, I think there was one minute where he overhit pass and he moaned at the referee and he lost possession. But other than that, he was quite 
temperate on the ball and very patient with his play, which is not something he's he's renowned for at all. And you're likely to get that from Ericsson. And just you know, I'm just off the top of my head thinking there, like say United are chasing chasing game, they need a goal. One of the, an obvious tactical strategy you could do if Sancho's playing on the right, you move him to the left and maybe get him at going at the right back, and you bring Ericsson on there because he's such a great crosser of the yeah, ball. Yeah, it would be a waste to to just play him centrally, whether mm. it's deep or higher up. Mm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Like the, that's what he gives you. He gives you those options to change how you play with the the front three and, and change how you do things. If you're chasing the game, you can bring him on alongside Fernandez and have a more aggressive midfield. And to touch on Fernandez there, you just mentioned it. I thought, especially, I was really impressed him against Liverpool um, in, in the first pre-season friendly and, and his passing. And he played a couple of superb passes, creative passes against Liverpool, but it was noticeable, I thought, how patient he was on the ball. And I think we all we all thought when Ten Hag was appointed that Fernandez would be an, an interesting sort of point in how that developed because Tenard clearly wants patient play. Yeah. And that's never been a strength of Fernandez's at United. He's a he's a high risk, high reward creative midfielder, but it does feel like he has already slightly adapted his game. So you can see maybe six weeks ago I looked at it and thought I wouldn't be surprised if Ericsson's pushing hard to get in ahead of Fernandez. Now I think that's probably less likely. But he is such a versatile player that there are, you know, there are options there to, to change things. And it comes back to how Ten Hag has used attackers at Ajax. And we mentioned before the, the use of strikers. I think in, in three seasons, he had Tadic as a false nine, a right winger coming onto his left foot. And then last season, he played as a left winger on his left foot, putting crosses in. So he's yeah. clearly not wedded to this idea of having just inverted wingers or... You know, having the same attack every every game, he's he's clearly open to ideas. Mixes and it up, mixes it up yeah. with having structures his attack and builds it around the players he's got. So that would suggest that there might be opportunities for for Ericsson to play on the right and even to play on the left or to move Sancho. I think we'll see we'll see a lot of different combinations in that front three this season. As you said, we were at the kit launch yesterday for the the new away top at uh, Federation Square. Uh, in, in Melbourne, which is you know, a bustling place. It's, it's, as I said, it's a great city. It's, it's you know, very lively out here. Um, and also lively were, was the crowd yesterday. There were a lot of fans that congre- congregated a couple, at the very minimum, a couple of hours before the event started. Uh, the ambassadors, uh, ambassadors being Brian Robson, Andy Cole, and the former kit man, Albert Morgan, did overrun for a bit. And the players were, were slightly late. But in the end, it was... The players, as as advertised, who who turned up: Luke Shaw, Scott McTominay, Jane Sancho, Marcus Rashford, and and Bruno Fernandez. And there was there was some decent colour we saw there. Um, I think Albert Morgan is probably going to have to polish his um his, his ambassador script after he said Sir Alex Ferguson tried to to, to sign Christian Eriksen from Tottenham when Eriksen actually joined Tottenham about yeah. three months after Ferguson retired from management. Uh, but obviously, that, those events they they kind of give us an insight into what the, the commercial arm of, of United is like. And the chief operating officer Colette Roach uh, was there overseeing things yesterday. Um, we suggest that we might actually have a chat with her on this tour. But the way things are going, I think we would struggle to get that as well. Uh, it's it's and and with the commercial stuff in mind, it's um, it's probably not gone unnoticed by supporters that Ten Hag hasn't been doing post-match press conferences out here. And I know this is a first world problem for us and you probably have no sympathy for us whatsoever. But as I always say, we're, you know, we're there present on, on behalf of supporters. 
asking questions that supporters want answered. And um, eventually, in, in a very impromptu way, he was brought to us in, in the mix zone after the game against Melbourne victory, and it was quite rushed, but he did speak. And he did give some nice uh, lines like about the defence folding like a pack of cards. And there was some interesting insight. It's obviously not ideal when you've got a, a bus wone in the background and cars and buggies going past and, and, and other people chattering away and you've not got a microphone. But it's interesting that Ten Hag is, is pushing against a lot of the media activity where previous managers, it, it, that didn't bother them so much. They, yeah. they just fulfilled it. Um, I'm I'm not you know I'm not looking to give him a kicking at all whatsoever. You know, people at United are saying he's he's solely focused on the football and the timetables around preparation for the football. I get that, but somebody has got to like you know give give him a tongue in the arm and say look you're not at Ajax anymore. Are yeah, you? it doesn't work that way. Jose Mourinho has done this. Solskjaer has done this. Van Gaal has done this. Moyes has done this. Ferguson has done this. You can't be the exception to that. No, absolutely not. And it is, it, it's not a, it's not big time out of your day doing a, a press conference. And what was the one in Bangkok? Pretty much about 10 minutes. Um, it was, yeah. And, and the way he talks that. as well, it's, it's short and sharp and to the point. Well, that's it. Yeah. He, he doesn't give, give you a lot in terms <laughs> of answers, does he? So 10 minutes, probably about 40 questions, to be honest. Um, yeah. I just, uh, you, you can see his, his theory and he's a football obsessive and he's just focused on the football, 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 wants to get through so much work. But and by all accounts, the players are being worked very hard. They've been off today on on Sunday, and I think yeah. it's been their first sort of real day off on the tour, and they have been been slogged so far. Um, but there doesn't seem any reason for him not to be. I mean, he's not doing a pre-match press conference again tomorrow for the Crystal Palace game. Again, that would only really be be ten minutes. Um, and it is, like I say, it's frustrating to us. There's there's probably fans who look at it and think that's great that he's focusing on the football, but the reality is that. Fans also want to hear what he's got to say yeah. and want to hear his thoughts on Lissandro Martinez and where Christian Eriksen's going to play. And we're not hearing that because we're not getting a chance to ask him. And then just and, and it's not just always newsy as, as well. There, there are certain questions that you'd want to ask that would form a feature about how United mm. are changing the way they play because obviously we had that privilege of watching them during the open session in, in Bangkok and it was extremely different in terms of the drills they were doing to what we'd previously yeah. seen during open training sessions. Yeah, it was, it was. And there's, there's a lot to, to go out there. And also, you know, there's, we're hoping to do a sit down with him at some point on this tour, as Chelsea have already done with, with Thomas Tuchel in America. And those are great opportunities. You know, it's more relaxed than a press conference or like you say, that, that snatched a few minutes in the mix zone the other day. With a sit down, you get a chance to dig a bit deeper into sort of his... I was going to say philosophy. I mean, I guess that's the the right word, but it is a horrible word. (laughs) But his character as well, if if you know what I mean. We don't we don't really know anything about him because he doesn't give much away. But a sit down is a chance to kind of dig deep into that and find out a bit more about him as well as his football. Well, he he likes his golf, so maybe um, we should should get him out tonight. tonight, Yeah, watch the final. (laughs) Going to be a late finish for the final uh, day of of the Open. That that might be the way to uh, to break the ice with him. he didn't do the, They didn't do a post-match press conference in Bangkok because they were catching a flight straight to Melbourne, which is is fair enough if you're very constrained for time. But a couple of us went and listened to what Klopp had to say, and touched on it the day that he had some interesting things to say on United. But Klopp took four four questions, I think five questions, and then maybe, so maybe three questions from British journalists, one question from a Thai journalist. That was it. And at the end, Klopp said, "I just want to say this is the first time I've been to your country," and did this. 
you know, 30, 40 second spiel about how great it had been in Bangkok, how brilliant the Thai people were, how proud they should be of themselves. Um, finished with the sort of bow curtsy thing they 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 and do they over there and they put together, their hands but, together. Yeah. And it, you know, Klopp is an immense politician, isn't he? And um, you know, he's a, clearly a very different character to Ten Hag. Yeah. But you look at it at the same time and you think that was five minutes, and he has basically won most of Thailand over to being Liverpool yeah. fans through doing that. Yeah. And that's you know that's not a difficult thing to do, and for a club as commercially savvy as United. You think you, you could be saying, "Go and do the press conference. We'll shut it down after four questions, and then just say how brilliant everything's been in in Thailand and and how you've loved it." And it's th- those are the, you know, those are the opportunities in front of the cameras to to engage with with people. And it's not like I say he's not just engaging with with us journalists. We're asking on behalf of the fans. When you're speaking to a camera, you're speaking to the fans, and not just the fans at back at home, but the fans in Thailand and the fans in Australia. And it, it you know it does feel like that is. That is maybe forgotten a bit in in Ten Hag's thought process, where he's thinking, "I don't want to answer questions on Ronaldo again or Harry Maguire again, but or Frankie De Jong." Or Frankie De Jong. Yeah. But there's always different things that come up in press conferences, and there's a bigger picture here in terms of talking to the fans, getting a message across to the fans, and just being seen and heard. I think it's also courtesy to the city that hosts them as well, because United owe it to them to try and give as much promotion as possible to these games to as many people get to the MCG and, and, and go to the Palace game on Tuesday night. And then when we go over to Perth um, in, in, in a few days' time, of course, they'll be playing against Aston Villa at the Optus Stadium, which is a, another great stadium, huge, vast stadium, where, again, I mean, if they don't do a pre... I imagine they'll do a pre-match press conference there at the very least, but um, that's the least they owe to these these tremendous cities that, that are hosting them during this pre-season tour. Uh, I think we'll leave it there. I think we've managed to address every burning issue. I, d- I don't want to give too much oxygen to Frankie Dion getting onto a plane. No, no. I think it would have been much more of a story yeah. had he not got on the plane uh, to the United States with the Barcelona squad. We are approaching almost the uh, said the 10-week mark since United actually first contacted Barcelona. I think we're all tired and bored and stultified by that. So, as I said, I think I've given him enough oxygen just... Uh, talking about it there thank you very much for your time Ty Uh, I'm not too sure if we'll do another one of these for Melbourne because we've got a reasonably early flight on the Wednesday to Perth but we will certainly do a couple of these from Perth probably pre-match Palace and also post-match Palace because we have got quite a bit of time until our our flight home on that Sunday thank you ever so much for listening Uh, please give us a like and subscribe on the, the podcast platform of your choice that's always very much appreciated and stay tuned uh, for the next one of these coming from Perth. Thank you.